0: I don't hear a lot of people questioning, like, am I still monogamous, even though I'm not with a partner right now? Good Um, point. You know, usually someone who wants monogamy is still pretty clear I'm like, no, that's what I'm looking for and that's what I want
1: If you're happy with the same old ways of dating
2: If
0: you enjoy sucking at communication
1: And you have no desire to improve your romantic life Then our podcast might not be for you
0: But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships
1: Broaden your
2: sexual horizons
0: Develop a better understanding of yourself
1: Or learn more about non-monogamy Then you've come to the right place I'm Jace I'm Lane. And I'm Dedeker And this is the Multiamory Podcast
2: I I did, me to form
1: to On this episode of the Multi Amory Podcast, we're talking about the Polyamory Board of Directors, who review all applications to become polyamorous, as well as administer quarterly compliance evaluations. This week we're giving you the top sixty tips for passing your polyamory qualification test.
2: Lies, S- it's J.K. Like, it's it's like, so <laughs> such lies, so many really, lies, such lies and hogwash. <laughs> I appreciate like how just straight you were with that, though, Jace. <laughs> yeah, you did well. Yeah, you, you didn't did break.
1: Well. It was impressive. Thanks. I actually was tempted to just be like, "Can we just improv the whole rest of the episode?" Oh man! Around <laughs> oh, that. Oh my gosh! Change People would be so plans.
2: angry. Can you even imagine?
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. What would be some of the top 60 tips for passing your polyamory qualification test?
1: Oh, my gosh. We should. You know what? We'll save this for the bonus content. That's an
2: Great. interesting question. So, no, instead, we're going to be talking about all of the ways in which people can be polyamorous, even when maybe they feel like, am I polyamorous? Am I not? Like, can I even call myself that? Um, like if you are only in a relationship with one person at that moment, or if you have had multiple breakups, um, if you aren't friends with your metamores, stuff like that, or even if you open and close your relationships at certain times in your lives, we're going to be talking about all of that today, um, and kind of going through things that we've heard from various people, as well as things that we ourselves have experienced.
0: I think it's interesting that this question comes up for people a lot. And I don't know if it's like um I I don't know. I think it's funny because it's like, you know, the joke is always that like, you know, millennials hate putting labels on things. But at the same I time, totally I totally like,
2: did. <laughs> but, Until like but, relatively recently. So yes. Guilty as charged. Is,
0: the thing is though, but I think that to a certain extent millennials do like having labels because I do feel like identity has become such an important thing to understand for oneself and to profess for oneself and to proclaim all over your social media um and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing like i like i'm not trying to like you know throw shade at at having an identity but i do feel like it kind of creates an environment where people feel a little bit pressured to be able to um i guess to be able to label their identity or to use multiple labels for their identity and i think some people are super into that some people are super not but i feel like it's maybe that context and that pressure that leads some people to be like, am I allowed to say I'm polyamorous in my Twitter bio? Like, I don't
2: know. Yeah, if I'm actually not with multiple partners at one point in time. Yeah, and, right. and surprisingly, I mean, maybe not surprisingly, because we do have a lot of people um, in a lot of different different relationship structures on our uh, Patreon Multiamory Facebook page, uh, that this has, I think, come up from time to time. People... Asking this question and just even under live shows, I know that we've had various people come up to us and say, you know, I haven't had, I I call myself polyamorous, but I haven't had a date in a long time, in many months or even years. And it's been really difficult because, you know, you may not have anyone to vouch for you that's already dated you, that you're a great, great partner or anything along those lines. So I get it. I get that all of those things can be really challenging.
1: Well, could I start us off with one particular situation that's definitely happened to me a number of times, which is where we'll do maybe a live show or I will just meet someone who has listened to the podcast and they'll say to me something along these lines, Um, you know, Oh, I, you know, I really enjoy your podcast. I think it's really interesting. I would like to be polyamorous, but right now I don't have any partners.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And usually my answer to that person is you could be polyamorous if you want to, because it's not determined by the number of relationships you have, but by what you expect from those relationships and how you conduct yourself in those relationships. Yeah. What do you What do you think about that? I mean, is there is there some truth to like, well, I'm not polyamorous yet, but I want to be, or or can you just be it before you even have even tried it?
0: Well, I think it calls up that same question of, I mean, like, so I'm inclined to. I think people make this comparison a lot that it's like, well, you can be bisexual or pansexual, but that doesn't mean that you have to be dating people of multiple different gender identities at the same time. Like maybe, maybe you just have one partner who identifies in one particular way, but that doesn't change the fact that you still feel attracted to or drawn to or interested in people of multiple gender identities. Mm -hmm. But then of course the follow-up question to that, it always leads into the debate of like, well, is polyamory or non-monogamy? Is it a sexuality? Is it a sexual orientation? Is it a choice? Is it, you know, like, and I don't want to get into that debate because the fact that it's like, there is no clear an answer yeah. to that question in, and there probably won't be until there's some kind of hardcore research into that. Um, so I guess for me, I kind of feel like, honestly, like, I think that if your principles, um, I don't know. I think it's, it's kind of, it is kind of like something more inherent, I suppose, where it's like, even if you're not dating multiple people at that particular time, or if you're single or for whatever, but like, if this is what really feels true to you and feels right to you, like, I think it's okay to proclaim that identity.
2: Well, both of you discussed principles um as like a delineation, I guess between one or the other between potentially being monogamous or more of that mindset versus a more open or polyamorous mindset, so what are some of those principles or or thoughts that one would like say is inherently one versus the other?
1: Well, I think what I am talking about when when people will come to me with something like that, what I'm referring to is. Yes, you might not have any partners right now, but in seeking new partners in mm-hmm, dating mm-hmm. people, are you beginning that conversation right away with this is how I think about monogamy and non-monogamy and this is the way that I, you know, want to communicate openly about it and I expect the same from you and, you know, I'm not going to you know, put these limitations on who you can be with, and I'm not going to put those on myself either, right? Like, going in with that, to me, that's kind of the distinction. Yeah. However, um, I mean, I could could also make an argument for saying, well, I think I might want to be polyamorous, but I don't know Mm because I haven't tried it yet. And I think that's a little different than, like, Mm -hmm. I definitely want to be this, but I'm not yet because I don't have partners, versus I think I want this, but I haven't tried it.
2: Yeah, and I saw an article recently on kind of that thing in general, just women specifically in this article were talking about that they had started dating a guy or they had dated multiple men who just used polyamory as an excuse for having sex with multiple women or multiple people and that they actually were married or or had a girlfriend who had no idea about it and that they were just calling themselves polyamorous And so, obviously, yeah, from an ethical standpoint, that's a real problem and not something that one would want to do. And I don't think that that person obviously is polyamorous. They're just an asshole. So, from that standpoint, yeah. But I think that people might worry that they would get lumped into that category if they don't have a partner already.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very real fear. Yeah. That, that, um, I mean, especially if you are a male-identifying person, like, there's Yes, very. And for good reason, people might be suspicious of that. But I think what makes the difference, like we were saying, is how you actually conduct yourself yeah. in the relationship rather than just choosing to say a label or not and then still being shady. And,
0: well, okay. You know what I mean? Speaking of shadiness, I mean, that brings <laughs> up, like, I think a number of times we've gotten emails from people who are like, I am cheating on my wife. But I feel like I'm polyamorous because like I really legitimately like I love my wife and I also really in love with this person like this other partner. Uh, You know, how do I make this work or or what does this mean or how do I get what I want in this situation and things like that. And so that's then it brings up kind of this other question of like, I don't want to doubt that you feel polyamorous. and, Mm -hmm. And maybe this process of having an affair has opened you up to realizing like, oh, I am capable of holding love for two people at the same time. And I am capable of wanting to maintain two relationships at the same time. So it's like, I don't doubt that like you're feeling polyamorous, but you ain't doing polyamory. And so then that's my True. question is like, then does it come like, then is there a distinction between like how you feel versus how you practice? And that gets hold- held to a different Perhaps. standard. Like, I don't know.
1: I think that's a great distinction. I was, I was going to bring that, that up earlier really one, yeah. and and didn't quite get to it. So I'm glad you brought that up, but I, I, the other one I'll hear is someone who talks to me and they'll say, oh, you know, I've been polyamorous for uh, seven years, but only honestly so for the last two years. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. then no. Then you were just cheating you were, before. You were just a cheater before, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but I think, Well, hang on, well, hang
0: on, hang on, hang on. I'm just going to jump on that really quick. Because okay. I honestly, I feel like I would say something like that. I was like, I felt polyamorous since like a really 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 long time ago but i haven't been like proactively honestly polyamorous for 10 years that doesn't mean that i cheated like i didn't cheat on anyone when i was monogamous it just meant that like i kind of fell into the mainstream default of like well i feel this way but that's not correct so i'm just going to choose monogamy so i don't think it can necessarily sure, that just is a distinction although yeah. but you and i that, have that, that dated that we're cheating you Why? and i have
2: dated someone though who did cheat like in yes. their in their, in their, like, non-polyamorous many life many, many times. Yeah. And I know a yeah. lot of people who've done that as well.
1: Right. But, that, so, yeah. but I think, Dedeker, you bring up a good point. Of, sure. like, it depends on what they mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. Is it just that I had this feeling but didn't know it was something I could do? Which sort of goes toward that idea of polyamory being more of an identity for yourself mm-hmm. versus well, I was just cheating and being secretive about it and only recently after my divorce am I being open with my partners about it, that would fall more into the category of you're talking about the practice of yeah. doing it. Yes. So that's an interesting thing too to like identity versus practice.
0: Mm, yeah. 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 Uh, Your relationship practice.
1: And and in that, I actually wanted to bring up something based on what you were saying, Dedeker, that I think that the bigger distinction of Like feeling like you are polyamorous is not that I've realized I'm capable of loving multiple people or wanting to pursue multiple relationships, but more realizing that that's something I also want for my other partners. Mm, That's a good distinction. To me, that's the bigger distinction. Yeah. 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 And we've talked about that before with like monopoly relationships, where I'm like, I kind of feel like the monogamous one, if they are okay with their partner having other partners, I think they're. The, Still polyamorous. They're more the polyamorous one, because mm-hmm. it's. I think it's more about what you hope to limit from your partner rather than just what you want to do yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, that's also something that people debate. Yeah, people to, have
0: taken uh, great issue with that opinion. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I... Obviously, if you are not dating anyone for an extended period of time, then you have to in your mind, put these practices into place, at least in the foreseeable future that you would have a partner and be able to speak to them about these things. Like, ideally, even if you are single, you're coming at any potential relationship with, you know, this is who I am, this is what I expect, this is what I hope for you, that you would get out of a relationship with me, etc., and that you are still being ethical about everything, even though you may not be successfully dating people at that particular moment
0: well i mean i like in a really ideal world i feel like everyone would come to a first date with that kind of awareness and knowledge even if they're working in monogamy i know that's true but it's but well but really though like when you're trying to find a long-term partner whether that's just one partner or whether that's multiple partners you know being able to have a sense of shared values Mm. is important. And I feel like, you know, that's why, you know, on this show like we try to to talk about conscious monogamy. I think we should be talking about it more because I think that is also part of it is like also having this very conscious awareness of your values and what it is that you want, you know. But it is the kind of thing that it's like if you're single and monogamous, you I don't hear a lot of people questioning like am I still monogamous even though I'm not with a partner <laughs> right now? Good point. Um, you know, usually someone who wants monogamy is still pretty clear. I'm like, no, that's what I'm looking for, and that's what I want. Um, yeah. So I guess yeah. on that side of things, and and I guess there's well, maybe not the quite the same debate around is monogamy a sexual orientation or not, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I it generally,
2: like, the precursor to monogamy often is, well, we're dating multiple people, and then, okay, we're going steady. Is that still a mm-hmm. thing people say? Or sure. like, we're, yeah, we're we're not dating anyone else, we're, you know... Exclusive. That's the mm-hmm. term that I was looking yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. So what if, what if we take this to the next stage now? Mm-hmm. So this person's been debating like, am I polyamorous even if I'm not dating anyone yet and, and haven't dated that way before? Or, um, I mean, what about a situation where I am in a relationship, but I really don't like my metamores
0: mm. or,
1: or I feel a lot of jealousy mm-hmm. of my partner even mm. though you know intellectually I'm like polyamory makes sense to me, yet I still have these emotional reactions that come up. Am I maybe not actually polyamorous? Mm. Did say, like, what would you say to that? Up.
0: Oh my goodness! No, I'm that comes, up, it a comes lot. up a lot. I think, yeah, yeah, it comes up a lot with clients. You know that question of of I feel jealous. Does that mean I'm not cut out for this? Or I'm not getting along with my metamor? Does that mean I'm not cut out with this or for this? Or this particular relationship just ended. Does that mean I'm not cut out for this? You know, a lot of those questions. Um, And it's a tough one to tease out. I think particularly like I like so often it's such a common experience for your brain to be like, yes, this totally makes sense. And, and like, it's logical to me. Like I totally get this, this conceptual idea of abundant love and non possession and, mm-hmm you know both me and a partner having autonomy and freedom um like totally get it but like my body is the thing that reacts when i feel jealous right you know that it's often your body that feels nauseous or feels nervous or feels shaky or feels sweaty and then that's often fed by you know kind of whatever story you may be you know cooking up in your brain to continue that and and, like, the thing is, that like, that's okay because it's, like, your body and your nervous system has been trained basically since birth about what is and isn't okay in relationships. You know, you are the product of your environment and your culture. And I think a lot of people know who get into this that a lot of this process is deprogramming, rewiring, yeah. relearning to be, to be very Yoda, you know, relearning what you have learned. Um,
1: I was just having rel- a conversation yeah. with someone about exactly that, where he was mm-hmm. kind of like, so I heard through Eric about you being <clears throat> polyamorous and doing your podcast and stuff. But like, and, you know, he went into kind of the usual questions about like, but what about jealousy? And, you know, well, what's, like, yeah, what's yeah, it like, yeah, all yeah. that. Right. But like the thing I kept kind of coming back to, talking to him is just how much of the transition into doing it is deprogramming is exactly that it's unlearning stuff almost more than it's learning stuff. It's unlearning things. Mm
2: -hmm. And it is Mm -hmm. so interesting how, even if you have for many, many years or most of your life felt like I could be polyamorous, I don't have a word for it yet, but that seems conceptually like something that completely makes sense but yet that other part of programming from your outside forces and the media and your parents and, you know, saying that like monogamy is the thing to do, monogamy is the thing to do, that even though your brain and maybe your heart, is that too, I don't know. Yeah, no, roll Go with it, it, roll with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, that's cheesy. But, but that, <laughs> that tells you like that polyamory is the right thing for you, that still all these outside forces are saying no that it can still be really difficult and really hard to go there.
0: Yeah, it reminds me, um, someone sent me a video of, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name, but it's some kind of self-help guru, and I don't mean to be like derogatory towards him, I mean, I'm sure he's a perfectly wonderful man, um, but some self-help guru who is very publicly in an open relationship and mm-hmm. and talks about it a lot, and I think also does a little bit of like discussion on that and like kind of helping people who are interested in getting into an open relationship but i think his his main gig is something else but anyway yeah someone sent me a video of him kind of answering the question about what it's like being in an open relationship and he actually said something that really stuck with me and it's kind of like if you get into an open relationship and like your only goal is to increase pleasure in your life you know whether that's the pleasure of more sex partners or the pleasure of falling in love with someone new or the pleasure of just having more attention from different people. Like if you're only getting into it just for pleasure and nothing else, like you're going to be disappointed because there's going to be pain that comes with it. You know, Um, if you're into it to not just have pleasurable experiences, but also to like get to know yourself and to deepen your relationships and have better communication and like really learn about the parts of you that need to heal. Like then it's definitely going to be a success for you in that pursuit anyway. Um, So, and so yeah.
2: Well, just do you think like it's a fake it till you make it situation? I mean, we've talked about this, like all of the ways in which people can feel jealous and feel awful about it potentially for many, many years even. Is it just like a continual deprogramming? Like that is the thing you can still call yourself pro- polyamorous, even if you're having a difficult time. I, It'll just take time.
0: I, I mean, I don't know where I've landed on this is, is kind of this idea that it's like if you're going to be in a relationship with a human being you're going to get hurt and you're going to hurt the other person whether that's majorly like huge awful devastating heartbreak or whether it's like tiny minor things that happen on a day-to-day basis that hurt like that's going to happen regardless of if you're monogamous or not and so for me I'm just kind of like yeah you know living this way and practicing this way it's brought me a lot of pain and it's also brought me a lot of really amazing things and I'm like it seems worth it to me like that's how it feels like to me now is it feels worth it to me you know i wouldn't because and but i also have the suspicion that i feel like even if i was monogamous from day one that i would probably end up with the same trade-off of pain to pleasure
2: really like sure but like some people would not be questioning the monogamy part in the same way that they might be questioning the polyamory of it all yeah like is this happening just because of the polyamory
0: I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I just wanted to share like a little bit personally that I found that, like, overall, the experience of transitioning from having monogamous relationships to being polyamorous for me was, you know, one that took some time and has gotten to a place of relative calm, like, calmer even than my monogamous days. Um, Possibly because it's a better fit, like, it's more accurately it more accurately represents, you know, how I think about the world and what makes sense to me, but it was still a transition because of all that unlearning. And I know that for me specifically, because of whatever about my upbringing in this culture or, or my family or my friends or whatever, that something that I think was kind of one of the longest struggles for me to reprogram was, uh, kind of my approach to being competitive with other men. Um, Hmm. So specifically if I was dating um, women who were dating other men, that that, the, the like feeling like needing to be competitive over things or like being envious or jealous of things that they got, even if I was still getting everything that I needed Mm -hmm. and like everything should have been good. But like that competitiveness was, so ingrained that yeah. it was even hard to become aware of. I would think it was all these other things. When, as I, you know, very slowly kind of chipped away at that, realized like, oh, huh, like that's there. And that doesn't mean it's even gone entirely, but now it's like it comes up and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's that thing. Let's not worry about that so much. I mean, <laughs> And it just goes yeah. away so quickly.
2: That's an impressive amount of self-evaluation that I honestly just think maybe some people aren't willing to do. Because again, in order to deprogram, you have to like look at yourself and you have to look at all of the reasons why those things stick with you and why Mm -hmm. you choose to let them have any, I don't know, any weight in your life if that's not what you want. If you want to move forward and move past it and maybe, you know, and become this different thing or this thing that you weren't initially but want to be. And, And yeah, you have to ask yourself like, why am I? Why am I keeping with the old ways? So that's impressive, mm-hmm. Jess. That's good. Even if you don't always do it all the time, that you at least know what's happening.
0: Well, as I say to a lot of people, and I'll, to be totally honest, end up saying to myself most of the time, is <laughs> uh, the thing that you think is the thing is probably not the thing. Um, <laughs> as, in, yeah. as in, I don't in know, what, when, you in have like, l- when you have like your own shit and your own trauma and your own baggage or your own insecurities, it's like, it's so easy for your brain to come up with a reason why you're upset. That's not actually like the insecurity or the baggage or the trauma, like to create a it's problem so, to fix. Yeah. Well, it's so uh, it's, I think particularly like create an external problem to fix. Like I think it'd yeah. be so easy to be like, well, the reason I'm upset is because he texted me, 10 minutes later than I thought he was going to be. And like, we need to have a talk about, about our texting and like when we text each other and, and how we communicate with each other, like that's what needs to happen. And, you know, I don't want to discount like if there are issues in your communication or if there are little hacks that would make your lives easier, like definitely do that. But it does require this really critical eye of like, understanding that your brain is going to be able to fill in a convenient and safe feeling excuse (laughs) essentially for why you're feeling shitty in a particular moment. Um, Because yeah, I I think our brains and our minds don't really want to look at themselves.
2: Um, Oh yeah. We want to give ourselves like the Uber benefit of the doubt. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, Well, I feel like, I mean, I love these deep philosophical conversations, but I'm going to try to, to circle us back around to, um, what we're talking about, which is this idea of, like, essentially, what does it take to count as polyamorous? Mm -hmm. Is there such a thing? Is that a ridiculous question to ask? And I think we also get people who come to us and ask about, like, you know, let's say I have a primary relationship, like, let's say I, I, you know, choose to have a primary relationship, you know, we've opened and closed our relationship a couple of times, or sometimes we do it at specific times. Is that okay? Does that count as polyamory? Does that count as some other form of non-monogamy? What do y'all think
2: about that? Well, okay. We've talked about this before, but Jason, I did this very early on in our polyamorous relationship um, because, and and at the time, I will say neither of us were dating anyone. We had dated people. I had gone on a lot of dates. Jason, like, had had at least one sort of longer term three month relationship or something.
1: I don't even think it was that long, but yeah. Well, long term, a
2: couple months. Yeah. But, but you had actually had like some people that you were dating or, or that you had successfully gone on some dates with, whereas I was going on a bunch of terrible, awful dates and feeling really not good about things. Um, And so we did choose to close for a while and then eventually opened again. Um, And I think it is a, there's a difference when lives are not being changed and broken. I thought you were going to say when lives
1: are at stake.
2: (laughs) No, no, when lives are like not being, you know, changed and hurt and broken. And, uh, you know, when, when a secondary, for example, is not being profoundly hurt because all of a sudden the primary is like, we got to stop this. I'm not feeling good kind of thing. So this is, this is an interesting one. And I think that like the question of extenuating circumstances do to just life, you know, happening and whether or not that's an okay thing to close or open a relationship. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? What you I feel think?
0: like, I mean, I know on other episodes we've talked, you know, sometimes this gets into a conversation around hierarchy and like yeah. strict hierarchy, ethical or not. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, you can go listen to like those episodes if you want more of a discussion about that. But I think at least where I've landed now It's just, and and I think, you know, part of ethics is understanding that your actions have impact. They have impact on you. They have impact on other people around you. And just understanding that. Because it's like really, you know, we made the joke at the beginning of the episode about the polyamory board of directors, which doesn't exist. It's like no one is standing there over your shoulder watching what you're doing like Santa Claus getting ready to revoke your polyamory card or put a gold star on it or not. Um, Ooh, a gold star. And so it's like, that means, you know, no one's really policing you. And so that means you can do what you want. Like, if you want to close your relationship, you can. It's just, you have to understand that there's impact there. And it's about evaluating what that impact is. And I would make the argument, like, there's impact even if you're not having to, like, break up with other people in order to close your relationship. Even Mm -hmm. if you've opened maybe neither of you are dating someone or maybe neither of you even gone on a date and you decide to close your relationship. Like there's still impact there. There's still impact on how you relate to each other. There's still impact on how you communicate with each other. There's still impact in this sense of like, um, I guess, I don't know. I feel like, you know, when you do a lot of the back and forth, open, close things, just that there's impact that it's like, it can some, I think that I often see it results in like, sometimes people feel a little bit more instable. People feel a little bit more confused of like, are we doing this open thing or are we not? Is it safe for me when we say that we are open? Is it safe for me to date someone or is it not like, cause I don't know if we're mm. going to close again or if it's closed, is it going to be safe for me to feel like it's closed? Cause I don't know if we're going to open it again, you know, um, so I think there can still be impact there even if you're not necessarily dating someone or like having to break someone's heart or disrupt someone's life to break up with them in order to close the relationship. So Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's kind that's kind of where I land is that it's like, you know, I can't necessarily tell you that what you're doing is good or bad or or what, but just understand that there's impact and it's kind of up to you to be aware of that and and know if you're okay making that kind of impact or not. That's that's my soapbox. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I was going to take it to, uh, like, a slightly different angle, more of, like, a philosophical angle of identity of, like, can you consider yourselves, you know, if this is a couple that's closed and opened again, like, can you count as polyamorous if that's something that you've done in the past? And say you even did it in a less ethical way, in a way that was really hurtful to people, like you did, just like, my partner told me I have to break up with you, so by <laughs> breaking hearts, and, you know practicing the stuff that we talk a lot about on this show being a shitty thing to do and not being ethical. However, it happens sometimes because we all make decisions and we all either, you know, cave to pressures or just weigh pros and cons and have to make hard decisions that hurt people. Like that does happen sometimes, even if you're being as ethical as you can be. And sometimes we're not perfect. And so... I think there's actually a lot of value in accepting that and kind of accepting and being able to admit I've done this badly before, or I've made some not great decisions about the ways that I've treated people. But that doesn't mean like I can't identify with this thing or that I can't do better in the future. Yeah. And I feel like we're going to see more and more of this as we are. Well, I mean, we're in election season now, but as we move toward another presidential election this thing that we do with politicians where it's like you are not allowed to ever have changed your mind ever about anything as a politician. And if you ever have, someone's going to try to catch you up on it and be like, see, gotcha, you're a liar, you're not trustworthy, Mm. you flip-flop. And I think that, yeah, like if someone's super inconsistent or says they believe one thing and immediately does another thing, like, yes, that's not being congruous. Yes, that's not being trustworthy or safe. But on the other hand, I think there's a ton of value to being able to change our beliefs and to learn things and to keep growing as people instead of being like, nope, all my beliefs have been fixed and every new thing I believe I have to relate somehow back to how it's justified by other things I've said that I believed. So I think there's this balance there. Um, and yeah. so a- anyway, that's my little soapbox. So we're just, we're trading soapboxes now. Do you have a soapbox
2: Emily? <laughs> all I know is that, you know, it, like I said before, things do happen. I've known people who, You know, they may have long-term partners, but one partner might want to go on a lot of dates. That's something that they love to do. Um, But when they got pregnant, the the primary partner said, "Hey, is it okay if during this time, like, we not go on any new dates because I'm not feeling great about my body right now, or it's just a challenging time for me because of the pregnancy, and I don't feel like I want to go on new dates." So, maybe together we cannot do that during this nine month period or during this 18 month period or something when the child is very young. Maybe we don't need to completely take away from the existing relationships, but we just don't enter into any new ones, for example. I've seen that happen um, with people that I know. And then also, obviously, I've seen it on the other end of the spectrum where people completely just can't handle polyamory. One partner can't and say, you know, it's monogamy or bust. So, and that obviously, yes, from an ethical standpoint, that can be challenging. And and yes, I agree with you that pros and cons have to be weighed and, and potentially somebody has to decide, make the decision. I want to stay in this relationship or I want to be polyamorous. And that's the thing that matters to me. Hmm so that it's the person's decision of course but yeah i I, being ethical about it is incredibly important
0: of course well i feel like a lot of people end up in a bind like let's say in that situation where it's like you know maybe i really jive with being non-monogamous but my partner's having a really really hard time and i feel like we need to close the relationship or else this person's going to leave me or it Mm -hmm. seems like they're really really getting hurt by this and so of course we end up in this ethical bind it's this idea of like it feels unethical to be doing something that my partner feels so harmed by or so upset by. And, and again, like, I'll just come back to the same thing of like, you know, it's okay to make the decision that feels right to you. And, you know, that feels like, I don't know, it's the best choice for you in that particular moment. I think that some people kind of fall into some mistaken thinking of like, if I've made a choice that means, I'm like supporting my primary partnership, or I'm protecting my primary partner. That means it's 100% an ethical choice, and and, like any harm that I caused is canceled out. Like I think sometimes people fall into that of this idea Mm -hmm. of like, well, I've chosen to like trumps everything else. Yeah, so that kind of trumps everything else, and. And I think it's kind of the same thing where it's it's like I don't know Americans we love a black and white don't we and we love being able we to say try this is for right so hard. and this is wrong but it's yeah it does come down to shades of gray essentially and, it, and I don't know it is just that it's just kind of evaluating what the impact is but I think that just because you made a choice to like protect your marriage or to protect your relationship like maybe that's a good thing but it doesn't mean that like you didn't cause any harm
2: I think For sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a lot of fun things that we talked about. I think yeah. yeah, overall with these things that we just discussed, the takeaway that I have is if you're doing things in an ethical manner with a lot of thought and a lot of introspection behind them, then generally like if you are if you call yourself polyamorous, then you are. You're you just need to be doing things in an ethical manner and and be having the forethought to be like okay if i'm not in a relationship now the relationships that i will have in the future are going to look like x y and z and some intentionality yeah intentionality behind it exactly Mm
1: -hmm. well i don't know emily i don't know if you get to count yourself as polyamorous just for believing that because you do it different than me so i don't think you get to be in this club
0: Oh, I see what, ga- what Jace is, is doing he- here.
1: <laughs> Are you about
2: to gatekeep, which we're going to talk about yeah. in a little bit? Yeah,
0: I was going to say Jace is gatekeeping, and I almost called him Gace. Like, he's Gacekeeping. He's gatekeeping. Gacekeeping, yes. He's
2: Gacekeeping, yeah. That's yeah. weird. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus.
0: Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
2: All right. And with that, we're going to get into gatekeeping. So, what is gatekeeping?
1: Why well, don't you tell us. The Oxford Gate- English got
0: to got to keep it, keep 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 those gates. Don't yeah, let them get away.
2: Exactly. It, well, for those of you who don't know, the Oxford English Dictionary has a definition, and here it is: it is the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something. So, why does that? Why do we want to talk about this gatekeeping?
0: Well, okay. So this gatekeeping as a term comes up in a lot of circles and i think in a lot of online communities because it often manifests as you know the act of barring some kind of individual from entering into a space or participating in a discussion that they are otherwise entitled to and is often done by an authoritative figure and so what this looks like in real world terms is something like Trans exclusive radical feminists, where it's no, trans women are not allowed in the discussion around women's rights or women's bodily autonomy or beauty standards or things like that. Um, uh, Or things like, again, in feminist spaces, like preventing black women from being able to talk about how race plays into their experience of misogyny, you know, of preventing black women from being able to talk about misogynoir as it is. And I think that I've seen it pop up definitely in non-monogamy friendly spaces or polyamory friendly spaces, um, because it can be very easy to, again, start getting down to brass tacks around like, well, what you're practicing is polyamory, but what you over there are practicing is not polyamory. And so you don't have a voice in this discussion, or you can't enter into this space, or we don't want you here. And I think that's when it kind of tends to usually come up.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean another place that I know this comes up is um uh, with bisexuals in the gay community that mm-hmm. sometimes there's this kind of like, uh oh, sorry like you can't be a part of the leadership of the, you know, queer youth uh, you know, c- queer youth department at this university because you're bisexual, so you're mm-hmm. not really gay. Interesting. Right.
0: Well, so that that brings up another interesting point is that gatekeeping it can come from within a community like you know, like, let's, you know, using polyamory as an example, like people who identify as polyamorous calling out other people who are also wanting to identify as polyamorous for not being poly enough, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it can come from within a community. It can come from outside a community. So an example is like women who are geeky and play video games for a long time. There's been this sense of gatekeeping of like, no, 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 you're not a real geek geek. Sometimes, sometimes it does boil down. You're not a real geek just because you're a woman, you exactly. know, or no, no, you're not a real gamer because you don't play MOBAs or no, you're not a real yeah. gamer because you don't play these kind of games. Um, well, and
1: this came up in a very, you know, uh, political, what, what am I trying to say? Political and like press related way with all of the stuff with Riot Games. Yes, yeah. That, it was very
0: much that culture there,
1: where they tried to like backpedal on like how they defined being a real gamer because they were doing some of that stuff specifically to try and exclude women.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 And I, I don't know. I mean, I think that when we get into these discussions around like what counts as polyamory or not, like I think that gatekeeping often comes to the fore to the forefront because the fact that it's like. I think people get really upset by the idea of like, well, you have to have some kind of standards, right? Because you can't just let anyone identify as polyamorous because then, you know, you get, again, those people who are just assholes who are like using polyamory as a label to hide behind when they're not actually being ethical or honest or communicating. Um, And so I think people struggle with this idea of like, what is just making a distinction? What is protecting a community? What is gatekeeping? What are your thoughts?
1: I think that's, I mean, you've just hit on the heart of the whole challenge. And I think that to go back to what we were saying before, is that we, especially as Americans, are so desperate for a black and white. It's like, just give me the rubric, like, give me the rules by which I can decide if I'm gatekeeping or not, you know? Mm. And that you'll end up with people all across the spectrum on like where they land on that decision, but they're trying to put it in like axioms Mm -hmm. or like little definitions or little, like I can just check this box or these couple boxes and know that this is okay. Or if it checks these couple boxes, I know it isn't okay. And it's bad gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. And I think the truth of it though, is that it is very situational and that it is something that we kind of have to constantly be examining why we're doing these things, and what are the impacts of it? Like, Mm -hmm. how is it impacting people?
2: Well, it just reminds me of this episode of Transparent, um, Mm -hmm. when that show was still happening on Amazon, uh, where they went, it it was Jeffrey Tambor's character, went with, I think, his two daughters to this big retreat uh, that was a women's retreat. And they, they basically, like threw him out of the women's retreat, uh, threw her out of the women's retreat because they said, Well, you're trans and therefore you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be allowed to be here. And I've definitely heard that from some very feminist friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Like, well, mm-hmm. they can't have a discussion. People who are trans cannot have a discussion on what it the pain of like being a woman or the the things that have occurred and the the prejudice women have faced in their lives because they were potentially once gendered as male. So, Mm. yeah, and to me, I'm like, none of that makes sense. That's all really mind-boggling to me that someone would go there or think that. And I I think it's challenging, like, with this topic of polyamory, like, inclusivity versus... You know, trying to push people out. That doesn't seem right to me. Like, if somebody is interested in polyamory genuinely and ethically, then to me, they should be allowed to be doing it or calling themselves that regardless of maybe the way in which their polyamory looks.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's hard because I think that often what motivates that, like like that instance with like the women's retreat, and I know it's a fictional instance, but there's definitely been similar things that have happened in real life for sure. For sure. Um, constantly. That from the perspective of the person who is an authority there and is making this call or who is leading this community, I think for some people it can come... I mean for some people it can come from ignorance for sure but it's yeah. often ignorance layered on top of coming from an intention to protect the community or to improve the community or to make the community be taken seriously by mainstream by from a mainstream viewpoint um you know that's and an so, so yes, and the, that's an
2: interesting distinction there that like where it matters g- about mainstream yes
0: yeah mm. well but that's where it starts getting tricky because i think that we saw like not long after gay marriage was legalized in the states there was this really interesting swell of voices in the queer community and also voices of the press um really uh sometimes unintentionally i think bashing on the idea of non-monogamous relationships because there was this this standing argument of like well if you legalize gay marriage then what's to stop us from legalizing bestiality or legalizing bigamy or polygamy or whatever and so there were all these articles coming out being like see gay marriage is fine and don't worry there's no way you know non-monogamous marriages would ever work out so like we don't need to worry about that so and I think there were also voices in the queer community being like hey hey all you weirdos over there practicing non-monogamy please don't make this worse for us like we just won these rights To have traditional marriage. And so, you know, you need to stay over there and stop making us look bad. And so, like, I see it coming. And that's that's where the mainstream values thing comes in. Is that, like, we understand that from a mainstream viewpoint, having multiple partners is weird. But having just one partner is okay. And so, if I can kind of sell you on the idea of, like, oh, yeah, I'm gay. But I have just this one partner. And my marriage looks exactly like yours. That that's kind of an easier sell. And so, Mm -hmm. anyway that was a really long winded way of getting around (laughs) to the fact that like, I think from a, uh, you know, from the side of the person doing the gatekeeping, like, I think it's often motivated by that fear of like, we can't just let anyone into this community. We need to protect this community. We need to hang on to what it is that we already have. And then the impact of that is often creating more divided communities within already vulnerable communities. And like, breeding a lot of infighting and stuff like that, which I think is, you know, is obviously not great for everybody.
2: Well, yeah, because we've even had it in our own group at some points, and I definitely see it in, like, the Inspired Women of LA group. My goodness, yeah. people just go really angry at one another in that group. Mm-hmm. and uh, And I think that it does become maybe not so much gatekeeping in there, but just my way of thinking is best and yours is not okay kind of thing. And I understand that like, if people are obviously being uh, disrespectful or racist or bigot, you know, bigots or any of those types of things that obviously like that needs to be addressed. But where does the line, where is the line crossed at even just conversations surrounding polyamory or, or anything where is the line where is the line crossed on like okay this is okay but this isn't and i guess in our own group i mean obviously we have guidelines and mm-hmm. one needs to adhere to those guidelines but
1: but the but reason then why what? we made guidelines instead of rules yeah. is because we understand that there is context specific stuff there yeah right that it isn't something that you can just set in advance And and say,
2: like, this will do everything for every single
1: circumstance that ever happens, of course. Right. Like, to to bring this into a non-relationship, non-gender-related field, uh, that in law, that's something that's actually a big difference between the way contracts are written up in different countries, that there are some countries like ours, like America, who tries to do that like we're going to spell out every every single possible thing we think could ever happen and then have catch-alls for the things that don't quite fit those and then we argue over those and like that's how we approach the law whereas there's other countries who will have much shorter contracts and the way that they would explain it is like well we go into the contract knowing that we can't anticipate everything that's going to happen and if there's a dispute it's going to have to get resolved but the way to do that is through making the intention of the contract clear rather than every single little mm-hmm. condition and thing that could possibly maybe happen in the future because yeah. we love so, the
0: black and white and the letter of the we law do. i know yeah.
1: fascinating so even as you were just talking emily you were talking about like well these things obviously cross the line and i'm like mm-hmm. well that's obvious to you maybe but that might not be like obvious to someone else where yeah. and or even if they said they have the same obvious line where that line is might be different yeah.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And it's so it's so challenging on like the internet also. Well, the yeah, internet's a
1: terrible place. Yeah. I think that that's black and white. Yes. The internet's a terrible <laughs> yes, place. No, sure. I'm just kidding. It's not because there's wonderful places like our communities yes, online. Exactly. Um, I was gonna bring up just kind of an interesting um did you guys ever watch the L word? I know you did because yes, we, we watched the first it. season together. Oh, I watched
2: Catherine, a little bit of it. Catherine Monaga can't. Yeah.
1: So in the first season there was this guy, um, he presented as male, identifies as male, but identifies as a lesbian. Do you remember this character who like the the hey. women who are kind of part of the core group yes. were all hanging out and he was talking about like, oh, well, as lesbians, we, you know, experience this or like we feel this way or like da 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 And he kind of walks away and one of the other women's like, what? Like, what is he talking about? And kind of it's that he's a man who dates women but identifies as a lesbian. Mm. I bring this up because I think it's an interesting, I could definitely see an argument for either side about should this man be able to be included in a like lesbian discussion group or a community or something like that. And that's, I think that's why they had it on the show is to kind of bring up the fact that that is a difficult thing but you see what I mean? Like I feel like no matter where you try to like lay down your rules about like who can identify as polyamorous or who can identify with whatever gender, there's other things where it's like, oh well, shit, we didn't account for that. Like he's not mm. saying he's a woman, but he is saying he's a lesbian. How, how does that fit into our rules? Like I, I don't know. And I, again, I think it just we get into problems when we try to make account things black for and absolutely
2: white. everything. Yeah. All
0: right. All right. I do feel like it's important to at least give some airtime to the, to the idea that I don't want anyone to come away from this thinking that it's like anything that remotely looks like gatekeeping is bad. And like all of your communities and all of your spaces and all of your discussions should be open to like literally anyone and whoever, because you know, someone who's actually not part of a particular community or identity doesn't mean that they're automatically entitled to access any space or participate in any discussion. And if you're heading up any communities or any discussion groups or things like that, that's, I mean, that's on you to make those calls, um, to bring mindfulness and awareness to that of knowing like what's gatekeeping versus what is actually protecting a community or maintaining the integrity of a community. Um, and I think also Jay, something you brought up is the idea that like gate, you know, trying to avoid the bad form of gatekeeping for a community is different from gatekeeping your personal life. And I think in that case, uh, because I think that's just boundaries, right?
1: Well, yeah, we hadn't gotten to that yet. It's here in the notes. But yeah, I did want to make that distinction that, that like with polyamory, to bring it back to where we started this discussion, that if I'm going to say, well, in this community or who can be involved in this discussion, I'm not going to put stipulations in place of like, you can only be in this discussion if you have X number of partners, or if you practice polyamory a certain way that, you know, I wouldn't want to eliminate those people from being able to participate in that discussion and to find a safe place to be able to talk about it and process it as they're on that journey. However, that doesn't mean that just because I think someone can be in that space means that I think they're safe to date or that Mm -hmm. they're an honest person to date or that they're someone who I would recommend anyone else to date. And I think that's kind of, I find mm. this with relationship anarchy too, that I feel like sometimes people find it and think, aha, now I finally found the thing that if someone's this, then they're definitely going to be ethical and not any of these bad things that I found I don't like. No. But the truth is like <laughs> none of these labels guarantee someone's a safe person. No. Yeah.
2: Definitely and I think not. that's
1: a worthwhile distinction to make. For uh, sure. You know, that, just because you let someone use a, a label or be in a group doesn't mean they instantly have a pass on everything.
0: Well well, I think to build off of that, it's also okay, like if you go on a date with someone and you know, maybe they do identify as polyamorous or relationship anarchist or non monogamous or whatever and you jive with that, but the way they practice is not something you're really interested in. Like that's okay too. You know, I don't count that as gatekeeping, like I count that as like just boundaries and sure. and you know, what you feel is going to keep you safe. I feel like we've had some discussions about that in the patron group recently, that it's like, you know, if the way that someone practices in their relationships or the way they practice communication sets off red flags for you, even if you're both technically on the same quote unquote team of both identifying as polyamorous, like it doesn't mean that you have to date them or have to feel like it's safe to date them or have to put up with it, you know? And I think, unfortunately, sometimes I think that's a symptom of if people feel like, they don't have great access to community or great access to people to date who also identify as polyamorous that I think sometimes people end up in a situation where they feel like, well, I really don't like that this person I just met practices this weird strict hierarchy with a veto and, and, you know, communicates or like lets their partner see like all our private text messages and stuff like that. I don't like that, but they're like the only person I've met so far who is okay with non-monogamy. And so I feel like I Mm. I have to go with this person. Like, so I think sometimes that's a symptom of people feeling like they don't have the options to be picky about who they're okay. Connecting to or not.
1: Interesting. Like they don't have the option to have boundaries. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Which is sad. I I would, I would hope to empower people to feel like they always have the option to have boundaries. Even even, I know it's hard sometimes,
1: but But that's, yeah, that's much easier said than done for sure. Of course. Yeah, Yeah, definitely yeah I think that it's it reminds me of a discussion we had just recently um where we were talking with someone about the different labels like consensual non monogamy and ethical non monogamy and you know other ways that are kind of bigger umbrellas than just the term polyamory for example and he brought up an interesting point of consensual non monogamy is a more clearly defined thing mm. that it's consensual means people are consenting to it and it's not monogamous that you can, that's kind of a yes or no. It either is, or it isn't that, I mean, obviously there's still a little bit of gray, but less gray than ethical non-monogamy, mm, right? which is like, well, ethics, like ooh, what does that, that mean? Really? Where are we at there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's actually something worth pointing out that huh. I feel like with, with pretty much any other sexual identity or, relationship style that no one seems to like imply that that means ethics all by itself Mm. like i don't think most people yeah would associate like oh well you're bisexual so you're more ethical than someone who's straight or gay
2: well probably some people would conflate like oh you're monogamous so therefore you're more ethical yeah okay
1: that's but (laughs) but
2: it, some people but obviously there's a lot of monogamous people who are not ethical at all and even not ethical in their monogamy in the way in right. which they do monogamy right.
1: right so i guess that's what i'm saying is that just because someone's monogamous doesn't like that would be absurd to say that that means they would be ethical and if they're not ethical they can't be called monogamous yeah like i think the same thing goes true with for polyamory and we there's just a tend- lot of
2: unethical polyamorists
1: yeah of course because they're still people, you know, like, and so I think that it's interesting to, to think about that distinction between consensual non-monogamy and ethical non-monogamy and Mm -hmm. that ethical non-monogamy could be something that we strive for and that our show could be about exploring and helping people to, to do that as well as they can. Whereas consensual non-monogamy could be more of a, like, this is what I'm doing.
2: Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. factually. Um,
1: Anyway, so that's just an interesting thought I had just while you were, Kind of bringing it home there.
0: I feel like we need to have like a two-hour episode on just ethics. Trying think to think we understand. should sometime.
1: Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do a we'll do a week-long retreat um, where uh, people can yeah. come and we'll all just, just, talk, we'll about just ethics. Like, talk
2: about ethics and philosophy. y'all have any
0: ethicists, ethicists, that's what they call uh, them, right? Ethicists is that yeah. is that a real is that a job title is that a thing someone that's can a be? Great an ethicist?
2: name. Sign if me it up. is, I want to learn. I, <laughs> wanna, I am an <laughs>
1: ethicist. I'm an apprentice ethicist.
2: <laughs> Great. That's one mouthful. Yeah, one hell of a mouthful.
0: All right, y'all. So, uh, let us know your thoughts on all of this. Let us know how is it that you label. Have you been in a community before? where you've seen an instance of gatekeeping have you been on like the negative side of gatekeeping in any instance we'd definitely love to hear from you love to hear what your in- your experiences are um, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private facebook or discourse forums you can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com/multiamory in addition you can share with us publicly on twitter facebook or instagram you can email us at info at multiamory.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. You can also leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Oh, oh, oh,
1: O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people
2: doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that
1: makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Auto Parts